What is happening, everyone? Welcome again to The Window, Canada's sports betting podcast. Ahead on today's episode of The Window, chiming in the familiar sounds of the NFL draft bells finally ring tonight. A last-minute look at the markets as rumors swirl and prices continue to fluctuate. Then it's Let's Do That Hockey as I'll look back at last night in the NHL's North Division, the Jets versus the Oilers versus McDavid, and how that informs the bet for tonight. The Habs continue to be owned by the Leafs, and the Senators prove their mettle as favorites against the Canucks. Plenty of underdog value on the board this evening, then it's a necessary evil, explaining why a video that made the rounds on Twitter was a bad look for sports betting media. It's time to head to the window. Let's go. Welcome to the window. I'm your host, Matt Russell. At long last, it's NFL Draft Day, or at least the first round. Of course, the draft lasts almost as long as at least it's felt like the draft prep has lasted. And listen, we've only been talking about the NFL Draft here for like a week. Obviously, studying and you know keeping our ears to the ground for a good month plus before that. Just Let's just get this thing over with at this point. I'm excited about it. It's going to be a fun night regardless of you know obviously we're gonna hope to win uh, more bets than we lose tonight but even still uh just a really fun night so we got to start with our pits report the kyle pits report minus 250 at the under five and a half but also minus 400 right now over at bet 365 the discrepancy is very real of course again we are on him minus 125 from last week don't let us down kyle as if he has anything to do with it any control over it whatsoever interesting moves here a little bit in the quarterback market which we've been kind of keeping our eye on here uh trey lance down to minus 140 under six and a half in some places but also mac jones available at minus 190 to go under three and a half that's over at cool bet so again i don't know that people even as we speak here you know late morning uh i don't think we still really know and uh, again, isn't that just the most ridiculous thing you could possibly imagine? But Gordon, you know, we've talked about this at length about why that might be interesting to see uh, whether different things come to fruition tonight as rumors are just aggressively swirling. One guy just flat out made up an Aaron Rodgers to San Francisco trade rumor on Twitter. And like that seemed to get traction for about five minutes. It's just completely insane as we sort of move down the board here. Uh, Jalen Waddle's number, interestingly, moving up to nine and a half. Interesting that that's kind of hopped over the Eagles and the Giants, like that whole sort of 11, 11 and a half type of area, to now go to nine and a half. Now, I don't see, you know, certainly the Cowboys don't need a wide receiver. I don't certainly don't think Denver needs a wide receiver as they went ham last year going for wide receivers in the draft. Uh, so, you know, this number sort of looks like, I mean, I guess Detroit, a possibility. Uh, and then whether or not Miami uh, would take Waddle over Chase or whether Chase might go, you know, ahead of uh, of Miami. And then they're sort of, you know, you sort of hate to say it, but like they're sort of forced into taking one of the stud Alabama wide receivers. So, again, you might you might sort of want to even just wait on that or just kind of avoid it altogether, to be completely honest with you. Maybe the flyer actually is first wide receiver Jalen Waddle if somehow Jamar Chase um, isn't the pick for the Dolphins down at number six tonight. 
Uh, as we go along, Najee Harris now at 24 and a half as the first running back or the sort of lowest running back uh, on the board. Funny that he's right there. They finally moved his number to where the Steelers are picking, right? So this is a yes or no. Are the Steelers going to draft a running back? And is that running back going to be Najee Harris? And then finally, late in the first round, what's the, you know, what's going to happen late? Are the teams going to trade up, trade down? That brings us to the quarterback conversation. Now, obviously, five are going in the first round. I would expect five to go, and certainly in the top 15, if not the top 10. Who knows? Things might get super loose, and they might go in the top five. We might be headed to a universe eventually where we all just pick quarterbacks to start, right? The first five picks, trade in, trade out, however you want to sort of frame it. But they end up just being, okay, who are the good quarterbacks? Let's trade you know, into the top five to get them. And then the draft for everybody else starts later. That being said, the one thing you have to look at when it comes to the quarterback uh, market is that fifth year option, right? First round picks get a fifth year option that the uh, teams can, you know, pull the trigger on. And having that option for a quarterback, especially something of a project, you know, you're sitting there going like Davis Mills is going to go in the first round. And we sort of have trained ourselves into thinking that the first round is you know, that there's some massive dividing line between the first round and the second round when really all it is is, you know, what, 18 hours, if you will, from the end of the first round to the start of the second round. But what the real dividing line there is, it's actually beneficial for quarterbacks to go in that first round, for teams to trade up into that first round. And Tampa Bay is sitting there. They've got all their starters coming back. There's no glaring needs necessarily from a team that won the Super Bowl. And that's going to be kind of a dangle spot there where you go, okay, anybody want a quarterback here, come on up. And it's not necessarily about jumping over teams the way trade-ups you know, almost always are. You know, you don't need to trade up to jump over Jacksonville to jump over the Jets because they'll have their two quarterbacks and obviously won't be drafting a quarterback at the top of the second round. But you're not jumping in. You're jumping into a spot to secure that fifth-year option uh, available. So when you're betting this, what, you know, what does that mean? Well, the best available price right now is plus 400, which means that there's about a 20% win probability of this occurring, right? So if you believe that there's a better than 20% chance of a quarterback getting scooped up with that final pick, or, you know, could be Baltimore, right? Baltimore has two picks at the end. I'm not saying they would draft it necessarily, but they might trade back should somebody come up and say, hey, you know what? We like this Davis Mills guy. Uh, we want to sort of have a potential, um, you know, backup plan for whomever they have as a quarterback. So let's use Atlanta as an example. Let's say Atlanta doesn't pick a quarterback in that fourth spot. They grab Kyle Pitts. Well, they're sitting there at, you know, you know, early on in the second round. Why wouldn't they just hop into the back end of the first round? Wouldn't cost them all that much. And they're effectively buying themselves a year more with the quarterback that they're selecting, right? So instead of just waiting and grabbing them in the second, you know, grabbing a quarterback in the second round, assuming let's say they grab Pitts, for example, in the, you know, fourth pick overall, now you've got something, right? Now you've got, again, you'd have to like that quarterback, but, you know, listen, we sort of make these judgments on first round quarterbacks all the time. And like this guy, that guy, it's only a 40% hit rate in the first round and you get all sorts of quote unquote steals in the second, third, fourth round. And so sure, would it be reaching into the first round to get Davis Mills? Yeah, it would, but it's not like Dak Prescott, Russell Wilson, and so on and so forth haven't had success later on. And no, I know those guys are sort of outliers, of course, but if those teams had a fifth year 
for those guys, that would have made their lives a lot easier and would have bought them some a little bit more time when it comes to salary cap type stuff on the back end and that stuff is kind of important. So a couple of other things that we're going to add here, going to add a couple of bets here. Uh, Aziz Adjulari under two, uh, 26 and a half uh, a bet there. A um, little bit interested in the Jamar Chase number because that number has changed to five and a half and is providing now plus 150 value on the over. And if we don't think that the Bengals are going to take uh, Chase, which again, they very well could, but look at what we talked about earlier on and last week about giving yourself more than one opportunity to win the bet. So how does Jamar Chase fall to six for the Dolphins? Well, a team could take a quarterback in that fourth spot then the Bengals take Sewell, or they take Pitts, or Atlanta takes Pitts, or trades to, to somebody who wants Pitts. And then Cincinnati, again, takes Sewell. So they take Sewell, they take Pitts. There's two different options there. There's a bunch of different ways that that fourth pick can go, of course, as we know. Certainly a couple of different options that the third pick could still go at this point. And then Jamar Chase falls to the Dolphins, which is what they want, I think, the whole time. And now you're getting plus 150 on that price on that thing to happen. Now, again, it's an underdog price because it's an underdog thing to happen. But is it? Is it really an underdog thing to happen? Then you're not worried about the Dolphins, you know, changing their mind or trading out or whatever, because after five and a half, you're good to go. So whether Chase goes to six or not, or maybe he falls because they all of a sudden, you know, smoke screen, they've liked Devontae Smith the whole time. They've liked Jalen Waddle the whole time. They're going to trade out because somebody wants to hop up and grab Trey Lance, who again, by the way, is still the favorite to go in the top six, even though he doesn't seem to have a home at this point in time. So there's a bunch of different ways that this could go, where quarterbacks getting traded for, um, you know, people hopping up to grab pits, that Chase falls out of the top five, even if you think, you know, even if you're just assuming that Chase was even there in the first place, which I think is uh, a bit of a stretch uh, regardless. So I think there's sort of an over uh, correction, if you will, for all the money that came in on Chase under six and a half. And it's almost to the point where they're okay with the idea of maybe getting middled there uh, in order to sort of take some of the, um, you know, heavy weight that they've taken from a money standpoint, um, you know, off of their shoulders when it comes to the sports books. So uh, also, uh, a couple of other bets that I think we need for later on in the draft here. Some fun stuff, second day type stuff, third day type stuff, right? Because we're going to get through the end of the first round. We're going to have all these bets. Some are going to win, some are going to lose. We're going to be sitting back going, okay, that was crazy. That was fun. But what do we do for rounds two and three? What do we do for the weekend? Well, I've got two guys here, one in a middle round type of a thing. Kyle Trask, right? Florida quarterback. We all are familiar with his work. Uh, his number right now, 72 and a half. So you sort of work that out. That's early in the third round. I'm going to go the over on Trask at 72 and a half. And again, these are absolute coin flip type bets. These are things just to sort of keep an eye on for day two. Um, but I think there's a handful of quarterbacks that can hop up ahead of him. Uh, I don't think people were wildly excited about how the season ended there for Trask, especially that game against LSU last year. Uh, and maybe, you know, because it's a quarterback, people are kind of getting over their, uh, you know, over their heads here about um, where he might go in this draft. So over 72 and a half, I don't think we have to worry about him going in the first round. So this is a play that's definitely going to be 
um, undecided going into the second day because, of course, we could go for some play that's, you know, a 38 and a half, a 42 and a half, something along those lines. And maybe that player gets selected in the first round, which would be great, right? Because you end up winning that bet, but it doesn't give you that sort of interest level in day two. And then later on down, we're talking day three here, sort of a fun one. Alaric Jackson, 6'6", uh, offensive lineman from Iowa. We're talking offensive lineman from Iowa. It's got to be somebody worth drafting at this point. His number is 215 and a half. You can do the math on that one. We're talking about essentially, you know, seventh round or better. So at some point on day three, he gets picked and we win a bet. That's kind of fun. So let's add those two to our portfolio here. Portfolio that includes obviously Kyle Pitts in the top five. Uh, now we're adding Chase out of the top five because again, we don't want to bet on two things to happen at once here. This one could end up in us losing two bets at the same time. Time, which is kind of against uh, our principle, if you will. But again, I think we're getting good prices on both of those options. And again, they very well could both happen if you think that Sewell is going to fall. And his number has moved off of, you know, five and a half down to six and a half. So again, we got a bunch of guys here in the five and a half, six and a half range here for the NFL draft. Talked about uh, JC Horn yesterday and adding Patrick Sertain as a uh, effectively a hedge to sort of free roll uh, the J.C. Horn bets. If you can get J.C. Horn 13 and a half at a decent price or even 12 and a half at closer to even money, I'd go ahead and add that as well. Uh, we've talked about Zayvon Collins under 25 and a half. Uh, we've talked about Morig Wooten. Um, how are we going to attack the safety market here? I think I would just stick with safety uh, over a half safety drafted in the first round. Fundamentally, here's how I see the, the draft kind of working out. I think there's going to be 14 defensive players taken so you're thinking to yourself well that's over 13 and a half i wouldn't necessarily go that route with it because i think there could be even less than that depending on kind of how it all shakes down so if i think there's one safety i've got the under and defensive line at four and a half again so that leaves us with four it could very well only be three and now all of a sudden you're at 13 defensive players so i wouldn't you know again mess around with that 13 and a half i would take the under defensive lineman drafted at minus 150 on the flip side of things, I do think there's a plenty of linebackers here that whose stock is starting to rise, right? You've got Parsons in the middle to early first round, um, Owosu Karamola, Collins, Ojolari, Davis. That's five guys who we're hearing, you know, people liking right there, right? And so automatically, like, boom, all of a sudden we're at five before we even just sort of need to think about Cox or Bolden in uh, in the rest of uh, in the rest of the linebacking core here. So at plus one thirty again, I think that's a coin flip type thing that we're getting plus thirty on. So we're going with that. And then cornerbacks drafted. This one's interesting because there's a lot of names here for potential quarterbacks being drafted. And the one key one that is obviously kind of been a bit of a you know up and down type situation here is the Virginia Tech corner Farley, who has fallen from 14 and a half to 21 and a half. Now it's closer to like 27 at this point. He is falling because of medical issues, back surgery. I think he even tested positive for COVID-19. Like the whole thing's just you know trouble for him right now. And so you go, okay, well there's him, there's Newsom. Sertain and Horn, of course, there's four guys right there. And so all you need is a fifth guy. And we've got Asante Samuel, you know, the third, the second, I forget which. Uh, and then Stokes from Georgia starting to hear a little bit more about in the last couple of episodes. And you're counting up these cornerbacks. You're going, man, there's a lot of cornerbacks here. This has to go over. But I think Farley potentially falls out of the first round. And it's not that 
you know, you know, his fall, I think, is just replaced by another corner. So, in, you know, instead of Farley, it becomes Stokes. Instead of Farley and Stokes. Or instead of Farley, um, it's Samuel instead of Farley and Samuel, if you will. So I think four corners go. Again, we're talking about a plus price, so you're an underdog here a little bit as well. Um, but if we can get more defense, you know, or if we get under on the defensive line at minus 150, we can get that one safety uh, in, uh, in Morag in to the first round then you know something's got to give on the other side of things here and it's not just going to be all over like there's not gonna be 15 or 16 uh offensive excuse me defensive players and because there's so many good offensive players and we're talking about off an offensive line group that's you know we're looking at six to seven select i know a lot of people liking over six and a half from the offensive line standpoint uh our first defensive lineman drafted uh, uh quitty pay again minus 105 minus 110 available out there um, and then, you know, we took a little bit of a flyer on Zayvon Collins, 16 to one, a first linebacker drafted. He's down to like the 12, 10 to one range. We didn't get the, quite the value that we got with Horn necessarily. And Slater still there at plus 300. If you think that, uh, Sewell is going to fall. So again, lots going on, trade rumors, all of this kind of stuff. Who knows how, you know, how much this changes by the time you even listen to this at this point, but all in all should be a fun night. Really looking forward to it. As they say in hockey, Let's do that hockey. Thank you very much, Laszlo. Yeah, well, let's do that hockey. Looking back last night, Toronto, Montreal, loser for Montreal. What else is new? Toronto is absolutely living rent-free in the Montreal Canadiens' heads. That being said, we look at the uh, metrics here. Expected goals for dead even. 1.29 for Toronto, 1.3 for Montreal. You know, listen, Montreal doesn't score the goals. Austin Matthews does. That's the difference between these two teams at this point. And that's what allows Toronto. They get a power play goal early on and then the Matthews goal early on. And all of a sudden it's 2 nothing, batting down the hatches. And essentially the game is over because, again, Montreal doesn't have the firepower to be able to up this game into a, you know, it's a 1.3 to 1.3 type of a game. And can Montreal up it into a 2.6 to a 2.6 type of a game where things get a little bit looser and, you know, maybe they get some decent goaltending and they're able to score more goals? No, they can't, right? They muster four high danger chances, you know, still pretty good to only give up seven high danger chances at even strength to Toronto, but they're only able to get four despite being down. We talk all the time about teams getting down early on and, you know, putting on some pressure and maybe skewing some of the metrics sometimes. But Montreal's just not even capable of that at this point. Now you sort of maybe point, okay, Gallagher out, Drouin now out um, with undisclosed personal issues, et cetera, et cetera. Um, again, Toronto gets one out of seven on their high danger chances. They convert on the power play. That's the two goals that they need to win the game. They add, you know, a third and a fourth. Uh, but again, Montreal doesn't do much on their side of things. Uh, in the other North Division games, we you know, had three of them. Vancouver and Ottawa, they did it again. The Ottawa Senators, and this time as favorites, that you know, in a couple of websites, we're sort of skewing it a little bit here. You know, most places had it minus 110 on either side, but some that offer less juice, like Cool Bet and Pinnacle, had minus 110 for Ottawa and minus 106 on you know Vancouver. And of course, you know what that means. That means they were favored, even if it's just by you know half percentage points in win probability. Uh, Vancouver just one expected goals for. Uh, on the uh, even strength and 2.41 for Ottawa. So again, just a hearty victory when it comes to that. 8-9 in the high danger chances and Ottawa converts 3 of 9 in their high danger chances. So again, uh, at this point, right, the high point of the season was the Canucks beating the Leafs. We talked about it. You know, 
you call it fluke, call it sort of whatever you want, but again, the metrics don't lie, right? And so when people are looking at these teams and they go, man, like the Canucks beat the Leafs, like what's happening? It's like, well, no, like the Canucks weren't very good in those games and hockey happened, right? Like Thatcher, excuse me, not Thatcher Demko, but Braden Holpe um, was outstanding in those two games. He stole those games and Toronto didn't get the goaltending that they needed to seal the deal. They didn't get the, you know, high danger conversion rate that they usually get to not have those games stolen from them. But because we see those numbers in the underlying metrics that other people don't look at, we're not surprised at all that Vancouver lost three or four and frankly should have or could have lost all four to Ottawa. And that's the difference, right? And that gives us the edge over the version of us that's betting on these games without knowing this knowledge, if that makes sense, right? Like whether you've come to this podcast in the last year and you weren't thinking about these sorts of things beforehand, now you are. And whether that's saving you some losses here or there or getting you a couple extra wins here or there, or maybe, you know, at the end of the day, we still end up seven games below 500 in overtime games and it doesn't make a difference at all, but at least you're more educated when it comes to this type of stuff. And so now you're not surprised and maybe you hit, you know, you hit the, the uh, Senators a couple of times here on the money line, um, even yesterday, uh, as we talked about again, the unfortunate part about that price getting to the point where Ottawa was minus 110 is that there ceased to be value uh, on the Senators and you just sort of had to play it straight up, you know, pure coin flip game. Who do you think is the better team? And of course, we had been talking about Ottawa being the better team, but just sort of running out of room when it comes to value. Uh, Edmonton and Winnipeg last night. Edmonton wins again, three to one, empty net goal. Connor McDavid with three points. So Edmonton wins on the money line and Connor McDavid goes over one and a half. Uh, in his point total, which is, you know, hot topic from yesterday. Uh, I think I'm going to write a more, um, you know, sort of black and white column of using all of the stats, if you will, and breaking down the value on betting McDavid's prop versus betting just flat out on the Oilers. Uh, that being said, the game, 2.15 expected goals for for Edmonton, 2.19 for Winnipeg, and 11-7 to 7 in the high danger chances for Edmonton. So from an expected goal standpoint, listen, they scored two power play goals. Didn't have, obviously, a high-danger chance conversion for a goal. Neither did Winnipeg's 0-0 in that department. But you're sitting there going, like, okay, Edmonton, like, they get the win, but it wasn't nearly as, you know, easy, if you will, uh, as you would have liked to hope. Now, that, of course, brings us to tonight. And the return of the scheduling spot. Yes, Edmonton playing in Winnipeg last night. Uh, going to a different city to play a new team. It just happens to be their home city. That doesn't matter. There was still travel late last night, having played against Winnipeg. Calgary sitting there waiting for them with, you know, just the quick trip from down from Calgary. Um, and now they're sitting here. They've watched Montreal lose last night. They feel like having played a lot better. And I wrote a preview for the Action Network about this. But they're playing a lot better. In the last six games, they are playing at a 10 plus percent uh, above average rate, which is way better than where they had been, uh, even post Sutter, where their rating had fallen and fallen and fallen from you know the plus side to the negative side, still not back to the plus side for the season. But over the course of the last six games here, five of which were against Montreal, which again, were crucial games. They won three out of those five, probably a little bit disappointed, to be honest, that they only won three out of those five games, given that they're tr uh, you know chasing after Montreal. But again, Montreal loses last night. This is another opportunity for them 
them to gain two points. Now, just because you have that opportunity doesn't mean you automatically, you know, get to win that game. But again, they're getting Edmonton in the best possible circumstance here, having just played Winnipeg, having just beat Winnipeg and feeling pretty good about themselves and having done so without metrically being that great right and so you would think okay that's going to create a bunch of value here but again the market takes into the scheduling spot uh takes it into account and so calgary opens as a projected plus 125 money line underdog and the market immediately scoops all of that up and now we're seeing plus 110 even some plus 105 out there so try your best to grab the plus 110 when back in calgary tonight that's certainly the best bet uh on the board i think here because we've got a couple of others that you know, provide value and are going to be difficult and, you know, you might not want to. So let's look at this first one, Vancouver and Toronto, both teams having to travel. And so you don't have that scheduling spot. It's both teams essentially just kind of being tired. I would imagine we're going to see David Riddick again for Toronto. How well did that go last time for him um, against Vancouver? Meanwhile, again, I would imagine with Demko last night in Ottawa, I imagine we're going to see Holtby again for Vancouver and so you get the whole B matchup there and that being said right we're talking heavy underdog here plus 250 with the Canucks and having just watched them lose three out of four again could have easily been four out of four to Ottawa um, but again the model says value play it's no different than the other the last four times that the Canucks have been heavy underdogs to the Leafs and have won the games you know again I don't think that the Canucks are going to win tonight necessarily but again plus 250 might be worth uh, a half unit uh, on the Canucks there, um, given again, like what do the, what does Toronto have to play for? I realize Vancouver doesn't have anything to play for either, but we're talking about a lot of stuff that's kind of dragging things back to kind of a 50-50 state. Now it's never going to be 50-50, but it certainly doesn't feel like this should be a minus 310 situation for Toronto. Uh, and maybe the only thing that sort of gets them up for this game is the fact that they've lost and were embarrassed to lose these games uh, to Vancouver recently and even before that. So uh, maybe a half unit on the plus 250 here. Same sort of deal. Detroit and Carolina already announced that James Reimer is in for Carolina. So again, at least you're getting a goaltending advantage or, you know, sort of disadvantage when we're looking at the Hurricanes. And we're talking plus 300 here, you know, three to one odds. Again, you could go the plus one and a half route. That's paying plus money at this point. But again, you're then sort of, uh, you know, having to deal with that empty net goal possibility. And if we're going to get this thing to overtime somehow, which is kind of the best way to win a plus one and a half, then uh, you might as well just have the plus 300 in overtime, to be completely honest with you. And you can buy back out of that once we get to overtime um, with these two teams. And so I think this might be another one where, okay, let's just roll with the half unit, um, knowing that there's value on it based on, you know, obviously the model uh, and the matchup. But you may not, you know, you might not want to have to just lose the full unit knowing that, like, that's the probable result in all of this. The other two games uh, in the Central Division, Dallas and Tampa Bay and Florida and Chicago, identical circumstances here. Minus 160, plus 140 type prices here. And I got to be on the underdog in both of these games. These ones are a little bit more sort of, uh, again, slight value that we're not talking like gross mispricing necessarily, but you're certainly getting with plus 140 with Dallas. And you know, we've talked about Dallas a team that's you know fighting hard here, um, even with sort of limited talent. Jake Ottinger getting the start tonight, so you don't have to deal with Kudobin potentially being all sketchy. Uh, and then Florida at Chicago. Again, we're getting Chicago as home underdogs here. We're going to get 
either one of these prices up to plus 150 that would certainly be ideal and why i'd wait to see if we can get those prices um but again if we like chicago at home against tampa bay hard not to like them at home against florida here uh kevin lankinen appears to be the starter in this one he was atrocious the other night which we talked about Will he be better in this game? Will he be more focused? I'd like to think so. Certainly wasn't the team's fault that they gave up so many goals. So I'm expecting his best effort tonight when it comes to that one. So again, lots of action here tonight. Hockey, NFL stuff, all of that kind of thing. And that leaves us with one last thing to, t- to discuss. I never know how far I'm supposed to take these sorts of things, how uh, deep you guys even really care about this sort of thing. But part of this podcast, you know, was always, let's try to make bets as smartly as we can. And it's not, don't follow people. Don't, you know, try to learn from more, you know, than just me or other different people out there. It's learn who is just feeding you a load of BS versus, you know, who's providing you with actual information. And so this video circulated yesterday um, from ESPN Plus. Uh, There's a fight, I guess, this weekend. And they, um, you know, sort of an outtake, if you will, basically during the break, um, Jonathan Coachman, a longtime host at ESPN, talking to a, you know, fight analyst. Uh, I believe his name's Ian. Not really all that relevant because it's not, I don't think this situation was really his fault. But it's really a big picture issue here as we get into, you know, I'm, I'm here in Canada and the legalization that's coming and the media coverage around it. And, you know, everybody's sort of running to kind of grab their seat at the table when it comes to sports books and partnerships and all of that sort of thing. And like, it's all great. And, you know, years ago, I would have been thrilled that these sorts of things are happening. But I guess I was naive at the time to think that it wouldn't be just kind of no different than everything else in corporate North America or the world. And so, you know, the clip shows uh, Coachman saying to his analyst, you know, effectively, um, you know, you know, what do you think? What do you want? What do you want to bet here? He says, well, you know, I think he's going to knock him out. And Coachman says, uh, he's like, okay, so we'll say when, when we come back here that, you know, you bet him to knock him out. And he uses the term bet. And that's, I think, really important here because there's obviously a difference between somebody just having an opinion and saying, I think this person knocks him out. And that's fine. That's great. If we're just analyzing a boxing match, that's totally cool. But when we're doing it under the guise of betting recommendations, right? There's a sportsbook logo on there. They are doing it with a partnership with a sportsbook. There is a responsibility to be responsible for your audience, right? To um, engage your audience, but to do so in a responsible manner. And they say, okay, well, we're going to say, like, we're going to bet on him to knock him out. And the analyst, good for him, he looks at his papers and he goes, I don't have a prop for that. Essentially saying, I don't know what the odds are because the odds aren't up for that yet. And Coachman says, who cares? Like, it doesn't matter. We'll fill it in after the fact. We'll let the Chiron people fill that in. In technical television terms, I've worked in television for 11 plus years. I know how it works. I was, I've been in the you know newsroom. I have been in the control room. I have seen it every which way but loose. And so I understand the concept of, okay, these guys are you know kind of working their way through what they're going to talk about. But you can't just say, here's a bet. I don't really, you know, it doesn't really matter what the odds are or not reference the odds and then just have somebody throw it in at the end. Because what if the odds are, you know, minus 500 for a knockout? 
Now, obviously, that's a bit of a stretch, but I could sit here and say, I really think that Trevor Lawrence is going to go number one. And then you tell me, well, the odds are minus 100,000 for that. That's not really all that helpful. And I could sit there and be like, oh, I was right. I was right. And so he goes and he says, okay, you know, this person knocked this person out. And all he had to say was, I think the probability of him knocking this person out is 58%. So if you can get, you know, plus 100 or better, absolutely, that's a bet to make, right? You don't need to know the odds to be able to provide value. We do that all the time, <clears throat> excuse me, when speculating about different prices, right? And I have to write these previews the night before a hockey game, and we have sort of a vague idea of what the price is going to be, but I have a threshold at which point that we're not going to make the bet, right? We're not going to make a bet on the Senators minus 115 because that's a fair price. There's no longer value against the Canucks at minus 115. Our sort of claim in all of this is that they are sitting at plus 105, plus 110, even money, and we believe that they should be favored, and then eventually they do become favored. And so we were correct in um, where we thought the market should be headed and we're able to take advantage of that in the previous day and so it's not that difficult to sort of you know just make it clear what the price you're willing to pay on a certain bet is but it doesn't work that way when you're trying to get something out on the street right when you're trying to get that content out for your sponsor and your sponsor is a sports book. And listen, I've been sponsored by a sports book for the March Madness coverage, right? They at zero point in time told me to recommend any bet whatsoever. And I absolutely wouldn't have done that anyway. And so it's not like they're, you know, whether it's CoolBet, whether it's DraftKings, whether it's whomever, they're not telling people what that they should recommend. Or I'd like to think that they don't. There's certainly a possibility of that, you know, coming down the pipe somewhere. But the point is, is, you know, Coachman is, you know, qualified as an announcer. He's qualified as a host, but is he qualified as a sports better? And you could maybe tell me, oh, he's been betting things for a long time and he's making predictions and they've been great and blah, blah, blah. And frankly, the replies underneath are just horrifying given the fact that people are just blindly backing up Coachman in all of this. And he's just being an absolute prick to people on Twitter and not sort of just sucking it up and acknowledging the fact that, listen, again, I worked in this. The media industry and the people behind the scenes do really, really, really good jobs, right? They do really good work. Come to Canada if you're in the United States. Turn on a hockey game, a CFL football game, um, even the you know nightly shows, right? The news and highlight shows. And they're all done really, really well, way beyond the budget that these shows and these productions uh, are allotted. It's an incredible, incredible job. But there are certain times where people just want to get it done so that they can go home, so that they can go to lunch, so that they can go on their break. And these types of hits are those types of things where they just go, okay, well, let's get it done and we can fill, fill in the blanks later. And the problem with that is that's fine if we're just doing television for the sake of doing television. We're just doing an intermission hit. We're just doing some sort of preview for an upcoming match or game or whatever. But when we're telling people what to bet, when we are recommending things, but we're not doing the due diligence um, in, you know, essentially coming up with whether or not it's a valuable bet or not, then that's fraudulent. 
Like that is fraudulent content at this point. And unfortunately, I could come on every single day on this podcast and rail against this, that, or whatever, because it's everywhere. It's on, you know, it's as simple as the Twitter person just putting out plays on Twitter and not having any explanation for it. And people just sort of blindly follow it. And because the guy won 50% of the time, he certainly has probably a following of people who have had success with him, right? Like they just happen to miss the bad days, the bad weeks, or the bad months, and they happen to catch him at the right time. If we had a really great week here, right? If you just shown up on Monday for 4-0 Monday night, then you'd think that I'm some sort of genius instead of going, okay, well, the expectation that he's going to go 55% against the spread uh, in college basketball in the NFL, he's going to try to go 50% in the NHL playing almost exclusively underdogs in regular season hockey, right? If you had shown up in August for the hockey bubble and coming along for the 50 unit ride that we were on last summer, You'd be like, this guy's unstoppable. You'd probably be a subscriber and a listener for life. But it's just not that simple. And so it's already not that simple for people who know what they're talking about in the sports betting space and doing this every single day. And the fact that we don't, you know, play baseball bets because I refuse to give out a bet that's probably going to be 5 10% worse than what you're going to get. And yet these guys are on television, quote unquote, on the network, if you will, because, you know, that's somehow more important. But great, right? You became a sports broadcaster doing a bunch of different other things. And now all of a sudden they're asking you to talk about sports betting. And if you just don't know how to do that, who does know how to do that? Because the producers, the directors, the Chiron people, sure, some of them may have sort of tangible, um, you know, interest or whatever in sports betting, but that's not what their job is. And so as we head to... Uh, legalization here in Canada and the sports media landscape in Canada where we're asking guys who are hockey analysts or hockey you know um, radio guys or whatever to just start making picks then that's really really dangerous because people are going to follow that right the, the people who were lining up to defend coachmen when this thing when this video came out are the people who are going to lose money right they're going to be sitting there and potentially you know you hate to use the term sort of addicted if you will but like they're going to take it too far and that's not responsible and so that's where i sort of you know literally lose sleep going like God, is that where we're headed with all of this? And it's completely terrifying that that's where we're headed with all this because, again, I believe in sports betting as a recreational, fun thing to do. But if people are just buying what these guys are selling to them fraudulently, and again, it's all over the place, and it's not just them, it's not just ESPN, it's not just DraftKings, it's everywhere. And if you're just blindly buying what these people are selling to you as these sort of guarantees, or sort of doesn't matter what the price is, I'm betting this no matter the price, or, you know, don't bet parlays, and then the guy's betting parlays all of a sudden, and you just go, what are we doing here? This ha It's not that difficult, I guess is the point. It's not that difficult to be better and to be sort of more thorough. And so if, you know... I, we could easily talk about the NFL every single day. We could easily do baseball and just start throwing out picks and maybe we'd get hot here and there and a bunch of people would come along for the ride and who knows. But I think it's irresponsible to do that. And so again, I don't want to do this segment every single day. I don't want to do it every single week. I don't really want to do it every single month. And if I didn't, you know, I didn't think I needed to, I'd like to just never do it. But stuff like that pops up on Twitter and I don't really want to do the like, 
arguing with people on Twitter because it's just the worst, right? But at the same time, like certain things pop up and you just have to go like, whoa, 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 hang on a second. Like, you know, this needs to get sort of broadcast, right? And so that we can talk about it here on the show, I need to sort of at least make mention of it on Twitter. And it's not to sort of incite or sort of, you know, uh, cannonball into the pool as people are sort of chirping this video. I don't really want anything to do with that. But you come here looking for salient betting advice that, again, you can take and use for your own, um, you know, sort of recreational purposes, right? And that's the goal of what we're doing here. And so hopefully that's the case that you're finding that and that you're also being able to discern what the garbage is out there versus like the really good interesting uh, educational content that can help you win bets that maybe, again, I'm not even suggesting, maybe the stuff that we talk about here has helped you with an analyzing baseball. Maybe you found your way into being able to model baseball or, you know, again, come up with just, even if you're just guessing money lines on baseball, because you heard me talk about guessing lines for football or basketball, or again, creating stuff for hockey, right? Like hopefully this stuff applies and, can apply to what you do going forward. But fundamentally, it needs to get pointed out when just absolute garbage like that is happening. And again, they're in a tough spot, right? They don't have the odds. He doesn't have the odds. He's like, I, I like the guy to, you know, he's sitting there going like, I like him to knock him out. You know, I don't know what the odds are, but I like him to knock him out. And he, and the host needs to say, okay, you know, you're relatively new to television. Here's what we need to do, right? And it's either the host or the producer. That's what producers do. That's bad production. Right. And so, again, I don't want to, you know, totally tear up the host on it. And I'm certainly not, you know, crushing the analyst on it. It's really more there needs to be somebody in the room to sort of say, OK, here's what we can't do. OK, we can't just tell somebody to bet on something if we don't know what the odds are. That can't happen. And until that person exists, then we're all in real big trouble here when it comes to content in the sports betting space, because, there's a lot of it and it's gonna be a ton to sift through and the good stuff just might not make it because of it. And that's the bummer in all of this. Sorry about that little rant. Hate to kind of do it. Had to get it off my chest though. Because again, you guys deserve better. We all deserve better than what's out there. Uh, subscribe, rate, review, and share the podcast. Follow me at MRussAuthentic on Twitter. Enjoy the NFL draft tonight. It should be real fun. Till tomorrow, I'll see you at the window.